Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast. As usual, to my left is my co-host, Mr. Felipe Amorim. Hello, everyone, and you heard it right. It's morning. It is, yeah. We've got a gig to do. We're off to a gig this afternoon. Where are we going to yeah. Worthing? Worthing, yeah. That's right, yeah, to play with yeah. Jack. <laughs> Disclaimer before we start, I've got, I'm have got. i feeling a little under the weather. I'm good, I'm ready to rock and roll, <clears throat> but I've got a little cough. So what Felipe suggested is we put a little beep over every cough I do, um, like like I'm swearing. So we'll try and do that. Yeah, he doesn't really? swear, but he coughs. Uh, all um, right, yeah. so let's um, officially start the show. <clears throat> yeah. Let's go for it. Welcome to the show. And so today we are talking about a specific album. And the album we are talking about is Electric Ladyland by the Jimi Hendrix Experience. Um I think what we'll do is we'll dive straight into the album because as much as good as it would be to talk about Hendrix and his life and what he did, we'll save that for the episode that is just about Hendrix and not about a specific album. Um, but I expect most people listening know who Hendrix is. Um, quickly, Felipe, I mean, what is there to say about Hendrix? One of the most celebrated well, guitarists in the world. Yes, and I think if you can uh, sum it up in one word, innovation. Yeah, that's it. I think the thing uh, there's just loads of people talking about. Oh, was Hendrix really the best guitar player of all time? I think that's not the point. I think it was the guy who changed the history of, of guitar. You know, everyone who I came agree. after him was somehow influenced by him, even if they don't want to say it, and if 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 they don't like his music. So yeah, but um, I, I I might say which is totally related to the album. Uh, if you listen to to the songs and if pay attention to the, to the songwriting, the lyrics, and everything. I think Hendrix, because he was so good at guitar, he was underrated as a songwriter. And yeah. his music, I, I personally don't think he was too focused in being recognized as a guitar player. That's one, that was one of the things he did. And he was such a great lyricist. And, I, think, uh, yeah. I think that's an incredibly valid point because... Yeah. The reason I chose... So what happens when we, just so you guys know a little behind the scenes, um, when we choose what to do in episodes, one week, Felipe says, I want to talk about Queen. I say, fine, you've chosen the band slash artist. I'll choose the album. I want to talk about Led Zepp 2. On this occasion, Felipe chose the band. I won't say it in case it's a spoiler for next week's episode, um, but I chose the album, which is Electric Ladyland. Two reasons. One, it's my favourite Hendrix album. And two, I think it has his most brilliant songwriting on and again, as we go through and talk about certain songs, I'll explain why I feel that way. But you're right, man. His, he's almost he was too good at guitar that his songwriting got overlooked, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. which is such a tragedy because this album well, you, and his others have fantastic songs on them. That's exactly what I think. I mean, and I, I love, I love his lyrics. I know I love the melodies and uh, the arrangements. The mm-hmm. and one thing people might remember: this is Jimi Hendrix experience. He had Band of Gypsies. He had other lineups. And he changed lineups really like fast after this yeah. album. So he had so many different uh, um, bands until uh, uh, his tragic death, uh, which is only like a couple of years after the album. So a Two lot years, has yeah. happened from 68 to 70. Um, but the interesting thing there is uh, um, Jimi Hendrix Experience is a band, is a power trio, yeah. and they did sound like a band. And you can clearly hear that the other guys had a lot of input and a lot of um, freedom to play whatever they wanted. Absolutely, yeah. And we'll get one of those songs that will be become apparent. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so let's let's start the discussion about Electric Ladyland. Um, as usual, I'll just give you a couple of facts about the album. So called Electric Ladyland, released on October 1968, uh, recorded between July and December of 67, and January to August of 68. So that's a long recording period. Yeah. Like, that's quite a long time. It is, yeah. yeah. Especially for a guy who recorded so many songs in a short period <laughs> Exactly. Of time, yeah. um, it was recorded between London and New York. So they were at the uh, Olympic, Olympic Studios. Studios in London. That's right. And then they went between the Record Plant and Mayfair Recording Studios in New York. So we talked about this with Zep too, didn't, yeah. didn't we? They were going between countries. Yeah. Um, and he did actually record this album after coming off tour. Um, so that might explain why he's in different locations recording yeah, it. You know, yeah. um, it, it's the length of the album. That's a double LP, isn't it? It's, a it's an hour and fifteen minutes long, which is half an hour longer than the last album we did, which was Dark Side of the Moon. Um, 
But the quality doesn't suffer for it, does it? No, not at all. Because it's uh, you would think that long albums they they either have too many songs or songs that are way too long, and it's it's not really that. It's got like a fifteen minute song in the album, but there's loads of songs that are shorter than three minutes. Yeah. So I that's why that's why I believe he was looking for proper like uh, um um creativity uh, freedom he, he wanted to do whatever he, he, he wanted to do it regardless of you know how long is this going to be yeah. do i need a guitar solo here or not some songs are not really guitar based yeah. if you think about it and you, you have those short um uh, ballads and you have those really long blues improvisations all in one album mm. so i believe that's why it's not boring yeah because long albums they they can be made of long songs or way too many songs and it's not the case and with long albums that have too many songs i think you find that the quality of songs there can let's say an album has 20 songs you can find five incredible songs 10 okay ones yeah. and then five that maybe you skip. Yeah. No, I don't want to say that. I don't want to generalize with most double yeah, albums. Yeah, but, but, but that happens a lot. It does, yeah. It? yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and you pick your favorite songs and you just listen to them, especially if you don't have too much time. I think this is definitely an album you can uh, listen from start to finish. And yeah. we do love talking about those albums that you actually listen to every single song in the album. Uh, it's, it's, although I have my favorites, yeah. of course. It's like what we said about Dark Side of the Moon. It's an experience. But I think yeah. what, what's unusual uh, what's unusual here is the length of this experience because it's yeah. a long album. But like you said, there's nothing I'd like to skip on this album. I think it's no. brilliant. And there's no... Uh, it, there's no... <laughs> there's no central idea or concept. For, it's not, you know, concept kind of album. Yeah. It's just like a bunch of really good songs that he put together. Yeah. Uh, one important element of this is like Hendrix was clearly looking for... Uh, um, building that bridge between his thoughts and his and his music he really really wanted the album to sound and look as he 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 had as he operated yes as he operated and he is the producer in the album and he was famous for doing too many takes of the songs until he got the perfect take yeah uh, also he would invite loads of musicians to collaborate and uh, particularly in this album he started uh, spending more time behind the mixing desk as well yeah. And experimenting with with the technology, uh, there's a heavy use of the wah wah pedal and first and other uh, 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 guitar effects, and uh, those things were not that common at the time. Everyone no. uses those pedals nowadays, but Hendrix was like one of the pioneers in that, and he was so that's that's why I think it's really well balanced. You know, he he, he cared about the lyrics and the melodies and the arrangements, but he was also interested in the production and technology. Same as Pink Floyd, which we've mentioned before. Yeah. Like we, uh, um, Some of those guys in the 70s and 60s, they were really, really concerned about uh, what technology can bring to music, and he was really, yeah. really good at that. No, I agree. Excellent. Um, right, well, let's crack on then. Let's yeah. start talking about the album. Um, so the track starts off, uh, the album starts off with a track called And the Gods Made Love, which is a, it's like one and a half minute. Um, is it a song at all? Well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's an intro music, I it's think you'd intro, call it. Yeah. Um, what was important about this is that he made it using loops and phasing, so you can hear it. And I think there's a section in it where he he's playing or speaking something and they take the tape and they flip it around. So... You're hearing his guitar sound, but it's reversed. You're hearing it backwards, just like on yeah. Graceland. For those who don't know, Paul Simon, Graceland, there's a bass solo in the middle of the song, You Can Call Me Al, or a bass solo, it's just a slap thing. And the bass player slapped the solo and they reversed it. Yeah. So, but this, so this is a common, and the Beatles did it in yeah. the um, Revolver album, yeah, uh, that song with solo. the sitar. They yeah. reversed that, George Harrison's solo. So that's kind of important as well, because this is 68. The Beatles yeah. had done it already, but remember what we said in in the previous episode. Just because the Beatles were doing things, we need to remember that the Beatles were responsible for so many innovative recording techniques. Yeah. Just because they did it in 64 doesn't mean that it was used 400 times from 64 to 68. Yeah. It would still have been used very sparsely. Not a lot of people would have done it. Can, can I say that no one, uh, not everyone would dare to use those things? Yeah. It's like, oh, that's just those guys trying to sound like the Beatles or repeating someone else's uh, you, experiment. Yeah, no, you're right. But you've also got to remember that in those days, cutting a tape could fuck up the song. Yeah. 
Because we're, talk- we're not talking <laughs> yeah, about we're not talking true. about using software where you just copy and paste things. Oh, oh probably there's there's just like one button that you press yeah. and allow you know you know back back uh, backwards single sound. Yeah, yeah. Or even even like just pre-recorded stuff. It's like you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, but it, it would it, it's a risk. Yeah. You, when I say cutting tape, you literally. Mark where the part is you want to cut, and you snip it with scissors. And there's a special glue, and you take. If they want to get rid of an extended guitar solo, you pull that out and say, "We'll chop the solo in half." You pull out that tape, and you join the other two bits of tape and glue them together. And you had to be so precise yeah. to do that without changing yeah. you know, the, the the time of the song and all that stuff. So yeah, yeah. So to do that is really important. Yeah, it is. Is so so Hendrix was. That's why it took a lot, a lot of time and a lot of money, and that's why uh, I think it was the label that su- suggested him to build his own studio. That's an, another interesting fact. Oh, wow. Before we dive into the songs, I want to say that because um, he, well, do you know the name of the studio? No, I'm going to ask you later. So I have a quiz for you. You were not planning that. Um, <laughs> <Curveball. laughs> so basically, um, he started his own studio in New York City um, because he was spending so much time and money in studios. That it made sense for him to have his own place where he could be creative, and collaborate with people and have no, you know, no uh, um, proper schedule. Just go yeah. there and spend the day recording. Yeah. Unfortunately, because he died so young, um, he only spent around ten weeks at his own studio recording stuff. Oh, that's yeah, such a shame. That's, yeah. But so that's why. Uh, that, so that happened pretty much at the same time as um, uh, Electric Ladyland. So. Do you know, there's yeah. something else I wanted to add about that. Um, what were you, you just said about him building his studio. Yeah. One one thing that's special about this album is that this album was the first album that Hendrix had complete control over. Yeah. Even though he was in another person's studio and there was an engineer and a producer, although he was co-producing. In the previous albums, as good as they are, Axis Boulder's Love is incredible and Are You Experienced is a very good album the record label had a huge impact on what yeah. went on on those albums and it pissed Hendrix off, really. That might explain why he built his own studio. That's like, yeah, I wanted to think exactly, my own yeah. way. So yeah, to creative had... control and uh, when, you, when you say his, he was a perfectionist, to a certain level, he was so obsessed in getting the, the right yeah. sounds and the right ideas yeah. out that he he wouldn't accept any any external influence. So he wanted to be in control. And uh, th- th- that's why I mean, that's why the album's so good as well because yeah. there's no there's no uh, um, bad influence from anyone. Yeah. You know, it's like I want to do this. This this how I I see my music. This what I, that's what I have in my and head. And I will spend the time and money yeah. making it. Uh, I will spend the time and money executing it so that it is perfect to my standards. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. Um, so anyway, knowing that, I think, uh, we just said that, I know we started the tracks, but I thought that was kind of important information to know that yeah. this, when, as we talk through the tracks, you're now going to hear why what we've just said is going to make this album better, because Hendrix had complete control for once. You know, So probably, his... probably that's, uh, and also obviously he had as collaborators, his musicians, but if you, if you think about this, uh, it might be his... You know, uh, ultimate uh, masterpiece, really, yeah. because it's uh, uh, he he did everything he wanted to do in the album. Yeah. Although he wasn't happy at the end, I guess, like he was never happy. He wanted, you know, to always, sound. always strive. Yeah, he got, oh, I got I got an idea in my head. I really wanted to sound like that, but you you, you can't have it. Exactly. Yet. Right. Anyway, so track two of the album is um, "Have You Ever Been to Electric Ladyland?" Um, I, I'd like to say a few things on this. Yeah. The one thing that I found fascinating with this is that this is an album by a guy who has already become known for his guitar playing. Yeah. He's already become known for his rock songs, Purple Haze, stuff like that. That is a rock song. Yet he has started this album off with a weird one and a half minute electro phasing tape thingy. Yeah. And then he goes into a song that I hear old style R&B. I hear, it almost sounds like an Etta James track to me. Have you ever been? Have you ever been? Just that <laughs> yes, really you old do style, have, you know, yeah. It reminds me of Smokey Robinson, The Temptations. You got yeah, the kind of vocal harmonies and stuff yeah, that he usually does. The swing, the softness do. of it. it. It really weird because that's not how you expect Hendrix to kick off an album. I think, so my impression is that um, it's like those first two tracks are like. One 
open theme yeah. for yeah. the album. So, you, you know, when you have the credits at the beginning of a movie, you know, oh, yeah. that kind of stuff, and have some, uh, you know, soft background music. I yeah. feel like that's what he intended with with this because the first song for me is Crosstown Traffic. It's where, it's where you actually have... Hendrix. Hendrix, yeah. heavy and dirty, fast... So these first um, two tracks are like the overture to the album. Yeah, it's like... There's something really funny you said about... Imagine people listen to the LP at the time thinking, wow, is this Hendrix at all? Did I buy the, the right hell? one? Yeah, yeah, what the hell's going on? And then you have crossed down tracks. Listen to know? what he said about And the Gods Made Love. So this is what Hendrix mm. said about it. We knew this was the track that most people will try to criticise, so I put it first to get it over with. <laughs> what? How would it dare to start an album? With such with an unconventional track. With something that you believe people are not going to like. Yeah. It's like, I don't care. That's my vision. I love it. But that is the artist saying, screw you. This yeah. is what I want the album to sound like. Yeah, and if you, like if you can't take this first one, just don't listen to yeah. the rest of it. Yeah, so exactly, that, yeah. What, what, like a, you know, what an ass dude. Yeah. Next song, Home uh, Crosstown Traffic. Cross Do you want to talk yeah. a bit about this? Uh, the one thing I like about... Um, is the can you can you have the lyrics there? Do you want me to find so, the yeah, lyrics? Of find course, the lyrics because yeah. there's, there's some interesting stuff because he's basically talking about his interactions with a woman, I guess. Okay. And um, how hard it is to get through, you know, and he's comparing to the cross town traffic, you know. Oh, so, really? Yeah, that's how I got from the lyrics. Right, there's by your lyrics. To it. There you go. There's there's a few lines in there that I. I what are your favorite ones? Yeah, I mean, let me find one here that sums it up because I, I, I think the yeah you just like cross town traffic so hard to get through to you. You know, um, it's, it's, it is what it is. So basically, uh, he is comparing like the, the life in a busy city and stuff like that to trying to, you know, get through, to reach out maybe. And I do have an impression that is, um, it was so different from, you know, from, he was a genius. I mean, that's a, an overused term. Everyone says, oh, that guy's a genius, is a legend, whatever. But he was a true music musical genius. That's really what this show's what you, about, though. Yeah, we're trying to give the legends and the geniuses their platform again. Exactly. So I, I wouldn't be worried about using the word genius yeah, too much so on this not, show because we're saying. going to come across a lot of them. Exactly. So Hendrix was a, a true genius, and I yeah. think when you are like that, how disconnected from reality are you? So I'm, I'm going a bit philosophic here, but I no, think no, no, there's no. a there's a lot of um, a, a lot of him in his lyrics, a lot of him trying to reach out to the real world. Like I want to connect with women, I want to connect with people. I want you know, like. Uh, people who work with me and people who because he was disconnected from 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 even the people who were working with him because he was so perfectionist that he would like oh would dismiss people like no do you know what I want to do this my own way I don't need you didn't and, we talk about that Pink Floyd doing that five years later with Dark Side of the Moon yeah exactly Roger Waters trying to make lyrical content that he could, that everyone could understand everyone could understand but, but I think it, I that. think it's yeah I, I, I think uh, Hendrix's lyrics are more personal it's like yeah. oh here is me you know I'm trying to get through this cross town traffic yeah, yeah I'm trying yeah. to get through the noise and you know yeah. and through the through you know the Basically, the the background noise of of real life and and, and reach out to a person, uh, it, it's it's really, really interesting stuff there. No, I agree. And yeah. uh, and you see, there's no songs uh, for me. I can't find any of his songs that are actually talking about a relationship. Mm. He's not in a relationship. He's looking for. Yeah. He's yeah. always trying to reach out. You know, oh, I can't get 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 through. I can't connect to that woman. I you know. And isn't isn't that isn't that fascinating that when you've got um, when you've got bands like, let's just take Led Zeppelin, who sing mostly about relationships, despite the fact that maybe at the time Zeppelin were writing songs, they weren't in relationship. Listen, you don't have to be in a relationship to yeah. write a song about yeah, a relationship. Yeah. But if you think about, you know, think about how many Beatles songs are about his girls, the relationship, their love. And in this story, you you clearly see that the the, the characters of that lyric, uh, they the, the, those lyrics, they are. A couple, yes, and they having a yeah, you know a, a hard saying. time, whatever. But Hendrix has like, even reached the relationship. No, it's like I want to. Yes, how wanna, personal is that? Yeah, That's it's fantastic, so cool, isn't it? That's what I, I think about it. Um, yeah. So track four is Voodoo Child, which oh. is oh, oh, that's the goodness. blues. Yeah. That's the blues. So that's a long. There's two Voodoo Childs on the album. Yeah, yeah. yeah this so is the first one. This is a long. Was it 14 minutes? Uh, oh, yeah, 15. It is. Yeah, so it's something like that. Just a long blues jam. It is just fantastic. Yeah, is it live? It's a live recording. I think Steve Winwood isn't there. Don't quote me on that, but I think there's some some uh, famous. Well, if you want to hear what Hendrix thinks about the blues, this is the track to. 
well, obviously listen to the others first, but then you're going to hear it. Listen, you're going to hear it when you come to it. It is a live track. Um, this is where we see guitar god Hendrix. Yeah. Uh, interesting thing there, uh, Mitch Mitchell's drumming is fantastic, not only in this song, but throughout the whole album. Uh, loads of uh, syncopated stuff, displaced snare drums, because he's not... Uh, just keeping the beat. He, mm. he was clearly a jazz drummer playing rock. Yeah. And Hendrix allowed him to to play like that. So uh, it's the, the groove, it's almost like the groove is not there. Yeah. It's like playing melodic phrases on the drums uh, yeah. most of the time. And and it's a big part of the album. But yeah, it's, it's a long blues jam. Mm. So uh, I don't think there's too much of a script to that song. It was just like, let's just jam. And again, freedom. yeah. Well, actually, one thing I was reading about um, with this tune is that he was trying to. So, what Hendrix would do is he would go all around New York City and try and find jam nights and music bars where he would go and jam with other musicians. And this song was him trying to recreate his best jams with the oh, other right. musicians. So he'd obviously sought after people and musicians. Again, imagine Chile. someone at his level with that, you know, that musicianship, all that creativity. Uh, already one of the most uh, profitable live acts in the world. Yeah, going to a small venue to connect with musicians he doesn't know. Yeah, because uh, he wanted to reach out again. I want to see what people are doing. Yeah, I want to learn from them. So, well, what the best, attitude? the best. Um, so I read a book by a bass player called Victor Wooten, which is called The Music Lesson, and he is just in ten different chapters talking about a different aspect of music. And the first thing he starts talking about is. He's, he always says, play with people who are better than you because then you yeah. improve. Yeah. And there's a great little story he puts in this book where he goes up to a, she's teaching one of his students and he goes up to a shelf and he puts out, uh, he says, you've got to play with people who are better than you. And he goes to the shelf, he pulls out a Miles Davis album, puts it on and he says to the student, Play, play with people play with who miles. are better than you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but yeah, but I mean, but do like you think you said, Hendrix was looking for people who were even better than him? Probably he was. I just I do no I do because <laughs> because I think I, th I think you can hear we've said how good his songwriting is and that's what we're going to mainly focus on and commend on this episode when we do a Hendrix specific episode we'll talk about his guitaring mainly but I, there's nothing on here which makes me think Hendrix can't do better in his guitaring and that's not saying the solos on this album aren't good it's that knowing Hendrix there would always be more to come. So I would not, yes, yeah, so in answer to your question, I would not put it past Hendrix that even at the level he was with the fame and the notoriety that he had, he would still be seeking to go out and play. The man loved his guitar. He loved playing the guitar. So why wouldn't he go around bars in New York City on his nights off just yeah. jamming? Maybe maybe one one night where you're not feeling that creative, you, you don't want to record anything, yeah. but you want to go there and play it. Exactly, you know? exactly. Interesting. Excellent. Well, the next track is Little Miss Strange, track five. Um, now, this is written by Noel Redding, isn't it? Yes. And it's sung by him as well. So this is, Noel Redding is the bass player of the Jimi Hendrix experience. And this was his song. I believe he wrote it all. Uh, he definitely sings on it. You can hear it's not Hendrix singing. And I just want to say a quick little thing about this song is I think it I think out of the whole out of the whole um album, this song reminds me most in terms of influences of British pop music during the sixties. All right. In here I hear the kinks, I hear the Beatles. There's a bit of acoustic guitar in that one, isn't it? Yes, there is yeah. at the start, yeah. I think. But I hear I was no Reading British? Um, yes, I think both him and Mitch Mitchell. See, we don't oh. know we don't know everything about those things. No. I need to do research, but I think they were. Yeah. I, I'll find out for you. Uh, but I think, yeah, so that's the other thing I, uh, I believe is very unpredictable about the album. With Hendrix trying to have all that creative control, he would still allow his bass player to sing a song and yeah. write a song for the album. Yeah. So that, and obviously it's a completely different uh, songwriting style. So you wouldn't expect that song to sound anything like the song that, that you just yeah. heard. But it doesn't. It doesn't, I don't think it, it does sound it anything like it, well, but, it doesn't, idea, but it doesn't yeah. sound out of place either. No. I think what this song does is, it is uh, like I said, it reminds me of the Kinks, mixed with the Beatles, mixed with the Animals, but the vocals on it, um, the way he sings it and the, the lyrics as well, remind me of a track that, I'll, again, we'll stick all of these that we're talking about in a playlist, um, and it will be at the bottom of the show notes for you to check out whilst you're listening to the episode. So... Uh, yeah, sorry. I know. I was just going to say that I've got a track written here that it reminds me of 
uh, Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention, they have a song from the first album called Freak Out, and the song is called Motherly Love. Um, and this the, uh, Little Miss Strange really reminds me of Motherly Love by the Mothers of Invention. Just the way he sings it, his vocal tone. Um, and I, I found it really interesting because to me, musically, like I said, it sounds like it wouldn't sound out of place in a playlist with the Beatles, the Kinks, the Stones, the Who. So that connects more to, to British music from, from yes, the 60s. but at the same time, I've just compared it to a Zappa song. Yeah. So an American well, that... artist doing the same kind of music that this song is at the same time that the Beatles and the Kinks are doing their thing. Isn't it, isn't it interesting to think about that? At that time, without Google, without uh, YouTube... Uh, by the way, I've just confirmed that uh, Mitch, both Mitch Mitchell and Noah Redding are British. That makes uh, sense, then, for this song which, to sound like Which this. I wanted to be sure, because uh, I, I know that Hendrix moved from America to the UK um, to play with a British band, yeah. uh, just to confirm those guys were born in the UK. And you got to think at that time, without Google, without YouTube, without all, you know this kind of really fast information we have nowadays, like yeah. everything is so uh, uh, it's so so really quick to 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 find out about stuff. Yeah. Imagine to understand British music for an American, the best way to do it, and probably the only way to properly do it would be to move to the UK. Yeah, and I would <laughs> say that he wouldn't be so uh, appreciated in America if he wasn't playing with Jimi Hendrix experience. I think that yeah. the fact that he moved to the UK to embrace London's uh, uh, culture and music scene and do this perfect mix of American and British music, uh, that was like essential for his for, for, for his image and essential for him to, to uh, uh, actually sell in America. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, I completely agree. Um, I think it's fascinating as well. The uh, I don't know what word to use. I'm going to use the word ambition that he's gone over to a completely different country to seek out musicians because he wants to, like you said, cross his writing yeah. platforms. Yeah, exactly. Sense. And again, just keep adding stuff to his music, yeah. adding more, more and more layers. Of information and culture. Yeah. How cool is that? Fantastic. Let's yeah. keep going because there's Excellent. too many yeah. songs to do. Number seven is the song called Come On, and it is a cover um, uh, by Earl King. Uh, it's kind of like a New Orleans style R&B, isn't it, this tune? Yeah. You can really hear the old style blues in it. Um, and to me, again, just like Voodoo Child, uh, what is it, Child? Chili? Uh, it's spelled child? like the country Chili, I, isn't it? It does. It is. Let's call it Voodoo yeah, Chili. I think <laughs> Child. <laughs> Let's do child. Yeah. Um, so just like Voodoo Child, this to me is Hendrix showing his appreciation for the blues. Yeah. And we're only seven songs into the album, but already the, the, this mix of songs you've got. Like if said, you stop there, it's yeah, like it's an already. Is it? Is it like actually recorded by just one band? Yeah. It's like amazing. Um, so yeah, that was a great one. And to me, um, the come on, it really reminded me of Eric Clapton at the same time. Which again is that interesting comparing a. British guitarist, heavily influenced by the blues, and an American one. This reminds me of the stuff I'd hear Clapton playing at the same time with Cream on his own with John Mayle and the Blues Breakers. Um, I just found that kind of interesting because, again, you've got two guys who are probably the same in their own worlds, but yeah. Clapton's in Britain, Hendrix is in America. And it, it does, yeah, it's interesting to see that. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, after that, you've got the song Gypsy Eyes. You Gypsy like that Eyes, one, you? I like that. I used to that. play that. Um, he's, he's every he's, single time I, I, I just <laughs> but you've been in a Hendrix cover band, haven't you? I've been in a Hendrix tribute band. So yeah. that's that's Credence. He's done deeper. He's done Hendrix. Credence. Um, deeper. No, Pink Floyd. Yeah. Pink Floyd. Yes. Pink Floyd. Deep sure. Purple. Now Hendrix. Yeah, I've done. That. I've done Queen. I've done a Queen tribute band. Um, we both need to get in a Zeppelin one. We and did. Then, we did then just together. Yeah. We'll have been in every tribute band of all the episodes you've done. That would um, be great. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, uh, so yeah, talk, talk to us so about remember, Gypsy Eyes. Yeah, I remember playing that. So it was an interesting stuff like this. Uh, uh, there's loads of, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, experimental sounds. If you listen to the the effects on the drums, and uh, you know, it's, it's mental, really cool stuff. Uh, what I like about it is the fact that he doubles the, the vocal melody with the guitar. And it's a very common thing in jazz music, but you don't yeah. hear much of that in rock and roll. No, that's true. Uh, yeah, it's and it's it's so cool, so cool. That. Yeah, uh, and it's it's and it shows how aware of the 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 guitar 
um, how can I put it? How aware he was of the instrument, really. He knows exactly where each note is. I, he, he would think melodically rather than thinking scales or, yeah. or techniques, and he would follow the guitar melody with his vocals or the other way around, whatever. So it shows the perfect in, uh, um, connection between his vocals yeah. and his guitar playing. Great I song. I completely agree. Totally recommend he, he, that he, 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 It's almost like he didn't use the guitar as it was intended, which I know is a, it's a slightly silly thing to say because we do get guitar solos. We do get songs starting with a guitar riff but songs like this that you've said where he doubles the melody with the guitar that's not the job of a guitar yeah Yet he's no, found yeah. another use for the guitar here exactly and it's 1968 let's remember you gotta uh, think of that yeah. yeah yeah anyway beautiful fantastic right the next one is actually one of my favorite tunes which is called the burning of the midnight lamp all right um <clears throat> quite a psychedelic song um i like that weird intro i don't know what it makes me think of it makes me think of kind of Chinese Japanese influenced music, the you know, he's got the wah wah pedal on that as well. That intro, it has a harpsichord playing. Yeah, now a harpsichord for anyone who doesn't know is a piano, but instead of if you play a piano key, any piano, the piano plucks a string. So when you push down the key, a string is plucked and a sound is, is produced. Now with a harpsichord. No, no, I'm sorry. When you play a piano, a string is tapped like yeah. that. With a harpsichord, the string is plucked. I so see. if you if you just YouTube harpsichord, you'll hear it. And it sounds like a lot of violins being plucked. Yeah. Um, so this is really interesting because J.S. Bach, the classical composer from the 1600s, he was the prime composer of the Baroque era of classical music. And the harpsichord was the prime instrument used. So fascinating that in 1968... 400 years later, Hendrix is using a harpsichord on his stuff. It's still a, um, uh, still an instrument that people use but every again, day. It's part of him trying things out. Oh, trying things out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Seeing seeing what works and what doesn't. Uh, number 11. Now, this is where we have 1983, A Merman I Should Turn to Be. Do you want to talk about this you one? You want to talk about that one? I do, I do. Yeah. I'll talk about it. My first thing I want to say is the studio production on this is just incredible. Um, it really feels like a long prog rock jam, doesn't it? Yeah. But it's not. The, the, well, I suppose well, it could the, be, but the, it's a rock part, song. Yeah, it, it does evolve, you know, but it's quite long. Probably the longest one after the first was a chance. It is, isn't yeah, it? yeah. Um, there's a really interesting thing: is all the seagull sounds you hear on this track is actually Hendrix cupping um, his guitar uh, pickups and putting them close towards the microphone. And he's moving his hands, so it's like wow, 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 and that's the seagull sound you get, which is incredible. But again, great solos on this, isn't there? Yeah. Um, the playing's fantastic, and to play a song that's this long in the studio, they yeah. probably only did it in a few takes. Um, yeah, incredible. that's the thing. It's, it's, uh, uh, again, he was trying to make the guitar sound as something that is not a guitar. You know, yeah, exactly. Really cool. Number thirteen is still raining, still dreaming, so which is something to rainy day. Exactly. <laughs> no, I wanted to touch on this because this is the this is the first of two occasions on the album where he is relating to a previous song, "Rainy Day Dream Away." Uh, no, yeah, "Rainy Day Dream Away." Another song, Still Raining, Still Dreaming. Voodoo Child, Voodoo Child, Slight Return. He is is making tracks with previous tracks in mind. And the connection there is on the lyrics. So that's why I say yes. to people, it's not, there's no yeah. uh, relation between those songs in terms of guitars or whatever. It's, it's the lyrics that actually uh, uh, make those songs related. So yeah. I think you should, for this album... If you have the chance to listen to the album whilst reading the lyrics, it's a very great beneficial yeah. experience to Absolutely, use the right yeah. word. No, I agree. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about about still raining, still dreaming is, my God, I love the guitar on that album because when he st- actually no, it's at the very start, he's making the guitar talk. Yeah. Now, I'd love everyone to find a video, if you can. I don't know where you'd find it. Try Facebook or YouTube. But it is... We're going to have the links, right? Oh, I can do that, yeah. I'll find the video for you. And it is a video of a dad and his kid. The kid is about two years old, and they're watching a baseball game together. And the dad is saying... He sat there, and his kid's next to him, and he goes, Ah, yeah, that was a good shot, wasn't it? And the kid is replicating his dad, going... 
and the kid's trying to have a conversation and his dad's oh, going yeah look he made it to first base and the kid goes oh there we go <laughs> I know I sound stupid but when you see the video you'll understand the, the kid, can't speak yet, the kid is trying like... to communicate he's learning from his dad and this is what I feel with this guitar it's like the guitar is learning from Hendrix yes like, listen to the, listen the, to the tune <laughs> and the fir- one of the first sections of the tune is a guitar solo and it's not a continuous solo you don't hear a barrage of notes you don't hear phrases and melodies that are repeated it's just wow it's like the guitar's having a conversation with the rhythm section and I so love cool. it it's just so different man for 1968 to, to, to like I said to choose that as the way you're going to present your guitar skills. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's like, it's not innovation in a weird way. No, it's no, an interesting right. it's, it's, yeah. Everything it does in terms of uh, 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 trying new sounds out makes you think like, wow, how did, how did you do that? Yeah. And it, it does sound really nice. So It's wonderful, yeah. yeah it's a conversation, it's, it's isn't it? It's really cool. Yeah. Excellent. The penultimate song of the album is probably one of Hendrix's most famous songs, even though it's not his, and that is All Along the Watchtower, which well, famously is a cover of a Bob Dylan song. Um, talk to us about All Along do you the know Watchtower. What, do you know what Bob Dylan said about his work? I do, but tell our listeners. He said he made it better. You know, <laughs> yeah. He improved the song, and, and it's true, because... Again, uh, whilst Hendrix was uh, concerned about lyrics and arrangements and everything else, Bob Dylan is essentially a storyteller yeah. more more than a musician. I think I'm, I'm okay to say that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when you when you listen to what Hendrix did to his song, it's like, wow! It's just it's not doing anything that um, changes the song in a negative way at any point. Absolutely. He's simply taking the song. To a completely different level in terms of arrangements yeah. and performing and guitar solo is just amazing. Dynamics, it yeah. goes up and down. It's like it's one of my favorite tracks of all time. Is it? My, yeah. yeah. I, I loved it. It's a great I tune. Loved it. I'll actually, the way he does it, it's just I'll give you the flawless, full, you know. I'll give you the full quote from Bob Dylan. Mm. He said about Hendrix, he had such talent, he could find things inside a song and vigorously develop them. He found things that other people wouldn't think of finding in there. He probably improved upon it by the spaces he was using. I took license with the song from his version, actually, and continue to do it to this day. Which means Bob Dylan <laughs> heard yeah, Bob Dylan heard Hendrix's version and said, Oh shit, I like that solo. Band, when we do that song, we're going to put a solo in between verse two and three. It's like we're going, to, we're going to do it like that. So yeah. he preferred Hendrix's version, which I think attests to what you said about Bob Dylan being a storyteller. Yeah. And I, I consider Bob Dylan a poet as yeah. well as a lyricist and yeah. a storyteller. Is he a musician? And, we'll, we'll do that when. No, I'm joking. Yeah, no, um, yeah, but that's the thing. It's uh, uh, Hendrix. <laughs> Hendrix wanted to reach uh, uh, um, Dylan's level as as a lyricist. So yes. it's highly influenced by him. He was, wasn't that. he? Yeah, yeah no, definitely. definitely. Um, we're on to the last song, which is, again, like I said, it's a, a continuation or a, a furthering of a previous song on the album, yeah. which is Voodoo Child. And here we have Voodoo Child, Slight Return. Which, Talk to us about that one. Um, probably the most um, famous song in the album, should I say that? Apart from, Maybe, apart yeah. from All Along the Watchtower, I'd yes, say. Yes, but... But that's not Hendrix. So what oh, I'm saying, yes, yeah, yeah. In terms of, yeah, yeah, talking about uh, his his own songs, that one is alongside Foxy Lady, uh, Purple Haze, and Purple Haze yeah. as like um, his his trademark trademark yeah, song. The, the top five Hendrix guitar song. starts a song, heavy wah wah presence. Uh, the riff tells this story more than anything else, and is a really nice. Uh, uh, groove so the bass and the drums are there like strong presence of the band that song sums up what Jimi Hendrix is for uh, you know most people if, if, you, if you're if new to Hendrix and you've got time to listen to one song I would go for that one there's yeah. loads of jamming in the song but there's a solid uh, groove and a really really uh, interesting riff good lyrics uh, yeah, as well lyrics as and again you have the guitar uh, following the, the vocals. So Absolutely. All yeah. the, the classic elements of his playing are there. No, I agree. You know? And songwriting as well. Yeah. Although although we've seen complex... I tell you what, I know it's not on this album, but my favourite Hendrix song is The Wind Cries Mary. Oh, Do you know that one? Yeah. Isn't it fantastic? But the, the, His best lyrics, in my opinion. I think so too, yeah. Um, so although we might see better examples of more complete songwriting on other albums, I think, like you said, Voodoo Child... Someone who's never heard of Hendrix, 
play me a song that for you epitomizes Hendrix, there's Voodoo Child. And I think a lot of people would agree with you on that. Yeah. Some may say Purple Haze, oh, I, but I think that one because it's yeah, there's more. You yeah, know, there's more elements. And there. it it shows his guitar playing a lot more yeah. as well, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Excellent. That's it. Well, we've done the tracks from the album now. Is there anything you want to say about the album in full? Um Yeah. I think um what defines the album for me is Hendrix's uh, search for perfection. Yeah. yeah. And and no limits to what you can or you cannot do in an mm. album. It's like, I want to do this, and I want to try this. Do and you he would simply record any idea that crossed his mind. Yeah. And it's amazing. I love do you want to know something really crazy? What you've just described is someone who seems to be in control, have power over their product. But did you know Hendrix was so shy he used to hide behind screens when doing vocals. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, he could. He hated it. He hated being the limelight. But what didn't help, and this is Hendrix. You know, what's the what's the phrase? Stepping on his own toes or whatever. Yeah. He always invited tons of people into the studio whilst they were recording. Here's a here's a <laughs> quote from not um, from Noel Redding, who says. There were tons of people in the studio. You couldn't move. It was a party, not a session. <laughs> and it's actually the reason that the album's producer, Chaz Chandler, stopped working with Hendrix. If, oh, so it's too, uh, yeah. too messy. He said, I can't I can't work this way. Apparently, literally, as Redding said, it was a party. But, people drinking, shouting, talking, and you've got a band trying to record an album in there. But then, isn't it what music is all about? You know, a good, as I say, is a good excuse to get people together and dance and celebrate and have a good time. Yeah, absolutely. So he was doing, and again, it's his personal uh, uh, search for people to interact with. Yeah. And there's a, a um, I don't remember which of his gigs, he actually said on the microphone that, um, he he wanted to he wanted to be able to just make love to every single person in the audience. So exactly. they basically said that it's like it's like I want to go there, you know. Yeah. I want to be with each one of you. So yeah, cool, fantastic. Well, um, before right. we just summarize the end of the album, we'll take a chance to do a quick segment where I'm going to give Felipe a quiz. A quiz. So here is the quiz. I got five questions for Felipe. So, guys, if you're listening, play along, answer if you want, uh, keep track of your score, and comment under this post when you when it comes out on YouTube or our socials, and let us know how you did. Um, so, question one: How many takes did Hendrix and Mitchell do for Gypsy Eyes? Was it 30, 40, or fifty? Forty. Well done. That's the correct. So they spent. Well, I, that. 40 I don't takes. get the, the questions up from. No, he doesn't. Yeah, I know. Okay, number two. Which famous singer's mother sang backing vocals on Burning of the Midnight Lamp? Whitney Houston. Yes. Did you know that? Incredible. Know. <laughs> that was an incredible piece of trivia. Whitney Houston's mum was the backing vocalist She's on Burning of the Midnight yeah. Lamp. Amazing. <laughs> right, question three. How did Hendrix achieve the kazoo sound on Crosstown Traffic? A, a piece of grass between his thumbs. B, a piece of paper over a hair comb or C, shouting into his guitar pickups. It was paper and haircut. Well done. Well done. Three for three so far, sir. Number four. How many women feature on the album cover? Don't A, know. 15, <laughs> B, 18, or C, 19? Oh, they're so close, those numbers. Uh, they're all topless, aren't they? They are. Yeah, is that the album cover? That's the original it is. one. They I will spend a they... minute on it afterwards. Yeah. Um, I don't know. 19? Well done. Oh, four for four, sir. The great <laughs> that, day. That was just a lucky guess. Which famous spouse did Hendrix ask to take the photo of him and the children in Central Park? I will explain what him and the children means later. Okay. <laughs> uh, don't know. Linda McCartney. All right. She, yeah, he asked her to take the photo. Right. And the final question of this quiz. Before going to record the album, Hendrix toured for 66 days. How many gigs did he play in those 66 days? I'll go for a weird um, 
65. Oh, 63. Ugh. But even so, in 66 That's days, <laughs> in, in two months, he had three days off. God. Put it that yeah. way. That, that's what made uh, the band kind Tight. of split up. And, and no, that's, oh. that's why they didn't, yeah, they got tired of touring. Oh, really? That's why oh, the Jimmy's experience yeah. was no more after. But surely it also explains why they sounded so good live, yeah. yeah. for sure. So yeah. well done, mate. Five out of six. Brilliant. My, my Watch dad that, right? Yeah, no, proud of you. Yeah. Um, no, four out of six. I didn't get the last one. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, four yeah, hours yeah. Six. How many well have you guys got? Let us know in the comments how many you got as well. Yeah. Um, so, again, we're going to have to wrap things up in a bit because we are heading to a gig, uh, heading off yeah. to a gig shortly. But not before I do my own quiz. Oh, you've got a quiz. Uh-huh. Oh, God. There's just a couple of questions. Right. Uh, See, so I got my notes. First time I got you've notes. Done it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. What was the name, might as hard, of the nightclub that Hendrix bought oh. to build his own studio? Oh my God. He actually wanted to do a nightclub. He wanted to <laughs> the business running. He bought the nightclub to make a nightclub, and then someone said, "No, no, just use oh for your studio." Yeah, this isn't something like. Um, uh, you're not gonna get it. See, I'm gonna go. Is it? Was it like um, the Electric Ladies? No. Oh, okay. It's well, called it? Generation. Generation. And what was the name of this studio? What did he name it? Yeah. When when did he do this? After which album? Around sixty eight. I think it was oh. during this album, or just before it, or just after. I don't know. Okay, I'm going to go with my same answer. The Electric Ladies. You got it. Electric no. Lady. Yeah, the Lady. That's the oh, Electric oh, Lady. You got it. So that's the studio. Fantastic. All right. Um, that, that threw me. He's got a quiz yeah, for me. This so is, got, I'm yeah, the one who does all the planning. Um, which object did he use to do the slide guitar effect on uh, all along the, the Watchtower? I'm going to go for the hair comb that he used for the kazoo. <laughs> that would be great. Was but it? No, no, it, was, okay. uh, that, it was a cigarette lighter. Oh, wow. Wait. Oh, a, light, a normal lighter? Yeah. Wow, just a lighter. Brilliant. Just put the lighter. Remember what we said in the Zeppelin there. episode where you can use anything for percussion and Bonham yeah. was using the trash can. Philippe, I've played gigs with Felipe where he uses matchsticks. Yeah. And now we've got a guy using a lighter as a slide tool. Fantastic. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, right. Let's um, let's start wrapping things up. I just want to talk quickly about the album cover because it was something that Hendrix was really upset about. Because it was chosen by the record label. Oh. Um, so what we, was it about? The 19 he, ladies naked. He didn't want that. He didn't want it. I thought it was Saul Hendricks. I could totally see him it doing wasn't. that. It wasn't. He wanted Maybe he would him. do it privately, but not... I think so. I he wanted the picture of him and some kids that were dressed up. So him and the band and some children in the park, in Central Park, New York. And he asked Linda McCartney to photograph it. You can find this image. And I believe this image has been used on the 50th anniversary remaster, re-release thing uh, of the album. So you can find this image. But for now, record out record shops wouldn't sell it with the ladies on because obviously there's boobs everywhere yeah. and naked ladies. Um, so what you will find on Spotify is just a photo of his face with some red and yellow filter on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a shame. I mean, in the end, I think if you look at Zeppelin's Houses of the Holy, I don't think there's anything wrong with the current album. Well, the thing is, uh, is how you you interpret art yeah. and if you try to see whatever has been done in the 60s with uh, the kind of information and culture and everything we have today you're not going to understand it and no. I think it's I think uh, I don't judge that kind of art uh, it's like I think there's there's a reason why the album cover was like that and it reflected the culture of that time so yeah. I think um I don't see, I personally don't see a reason to no. see that cover as offensive or anything yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, and, uh, anyway, yeah, yeah it's fantastic. Uh, the last thing I wanted to cover was just um, the reception of the album and how this album has gone down in rock and roll history. Um, the interesting thing is that when this album was first released, here's some quotes that people use to describe it. Mixed up and muddled, unstructured and heavy-handed guitar. Agree with that. Yeah, yeah. But, that, but that's but positive. That, yeah, well, it's, no, it's negative here. It's positive yeah, to it's us. Positive yeah. Um, but I mean, if you if you go on later, uh, you know, but people did definitely praise it for its technological innovations. You know, someone said it's the best job of stereo. Hendrix oh. achieves unique effects and extended look into Hendrix's head, which we've just said. This was him putting his mark and his personality on this album. And it, all you got to do is just look later about what people think of the album. Uh, one of the greatest double albums in rock, the fullest realisation of Jimmy's far-reaching ambitions, a true classic of the psych rock era. 
Um, likely the greatest rock album of all time because of its exceptional concept, artful melodies, experimentation and skilled musicianship. Brilliant. Which I think is pretty fair, isn't it? That is fair, yeah. Isn't it? I mean, the fact that it's... Uh, I love the unstructured one. Yeah, <laughs> unstructured and heavy-handed guitars. I'll, 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 if I, I, mean, uh, I would take that as a compliment if someone yeah. ever says that about an album I recorded. Fantastic, yeah, excellent. Cool. And I'll just finish off with what other people think of this album. Classic Rock have it as the 10th best rock album ever. Ooh. The Times have it as the 37th best album of all time. Uh, Larkin's Top 1000 Albums, he's a music critic and he's put together a book of top 1,000 albums he believes are the best. That's number 32. And in the Rolling Stones' 500 Greatest Albums of All Time, Electric Ladyland sits at number 54, which I think is just testament to how good well, and innovative and important this album was if, to rock and roll. And even if you take it out of the rock and roll universe, I'd say it should feature amongst the, the 100 more uh, most important albums of yeah, all times of exactly. any Fantastic. music genre. Because yeah, anyway. it's long, creative... And it's got, you know, all sorts of innovations. But in it. executed well. Executed It wasn't well. all these ideas that then ended up being executed poorly. Yeah. Production was great, the sound was great, and the final product was incredible, wasn't yeah. it? Brilliant. Anyway, any final words on the album? Um, well, just listen to it, enjoy it, yeah. and read the lyrics. Aggressive the funk. Lyrics. Aggressive <laughs> funk. <laughs> Love it. Okay, here is Feed the Drum. Felipe can explain the story behind. There you go for the viewers. Oh yeah, basically my wife was trying to cook today and uh, she burnt the the waffle. Don't eat it. I put the quass on there so I'm you wouldn't have to eat that. I'm not gonna eat this. But so that's, no, that's today's lunch. But you've got to, for, for, for listeners, he's holding up a black waffle as in it's crisped. It is burnt to a crisp because they were left in the oven and forgotten about. And so, which song? From the album, does this Burning the to? house down. Burning the house down. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> anyway, have the croissant. I don't want you to eat the burnt stuff. I Your tummy will be bad for the game. Leave me, I Go won't. on, give, give a crunch for the microphone. There we go. That's there Felipe go. digging into a croissant. Really and guys, croissant. we need to shoot off to a gig. So thank you very much for joining us again on another episode of Long Live Rock and Roll. Um, please find us on our socials. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at Long Live RNR Pod. On YouTube and Facebook, you can search the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast and you'll see our channels. What I really must ask for anyone who's enjoying the podcast is we really need reviews on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. I'll quickly explain what happens. The more reviews you get, so if we get, if we've, at the moment we've got five five-star reviews and we thank everyone who's reviewed us. Now, if someone searches rock and roll into podcasts, a podcast that has 10 five-star reviews is going to be seen before us. So to, to sort out the algorithm, But we are better, so you need to give us this. I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to remain humble. Please do yeah. so. But the more reviews we get, the higher up in the algorithms we go. And if people search rock instead of rock and roll or long live, if we get more reviews, we're going to be seen more. So if we, we'd really appreciate any reviews you can give us uh, on the Apple Podcasts app as it helps with our visibility. Um, so once again, thank you very much for joining us on this episode. We hope you've enjoyed it. There will be a Spotify playlist on the show notes with every song on this album, plus other ones we've spoken about, like that Zappa one, for example. Yeah, thanks a lot for being with us. Um especially for those who, who have been following the podcast since the beginning. And keep on rocking, everyone. And as always, take care and long live rock and roll.